This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. You know, one of the things I really love to do is to get a, a, a gift for someone just because, or to, to, to do some small kind thing for them for, for no other reason than just to do it. Uh, it just, it's such a fulfilling thing. Uh, it, it just brings such joy. You know what I have difficulty with, though? It is receiving gifts. It's just hard for me to, to, to receive things and, and to genuinely express gratitude to people. Now, I feel gratitude, but expressing it is hard for me. And I know that's hard for my wife. I'm hard to buy for. It's just a difficult process. You know what else is hard for me? Writing thank you notes. It is, it is so difficult to express how grateful I feel in a genuine, meaningful way on this big of a piece of paper. It just, it's a hard thing for me to, to, to write words that are sincere and, and that I think will, will bless a person in the same way they've blessed me. And I, I struggle with that, and, and I struggle with the idea of thank you notes. I, I'll be honest with you. There was one year at Christmas, I wrote thank you notes out, and uh, I, I kept thinking, i got to mail these, i got to mail these. And I put them down in my computer bag. I didn't want my computer to wrinkle them up, so I put them in another pocket. And I was ready to, you know, like the next time I was downtown by the post office, put stamps on them and send them out. And uh, then I was, uh, I was looking for a cord later. I think it was like March or April, and I started looking through the, the pockets of my bag that I don't normally go through, and I found this stack of thank you notes and went, Oh, and I had to make a decision. Do I look like a, a rude, forgetful person and send these four months late? Or do I look like a rude, really rude person and just not send them? What do I do? It was a, it's a real conundrum. What, what do you do? Gratitude is such a difficult thing. Our, our, our story we're going to begin with this morning uh, the encounter that Jesus had, the conversation that began. But it's going to be in Luke 17. It's part of our conversations, conversationalist series as we learn from Jesus and the way he interacted with people, how we can, we can uh, open up those doors, how we can have meaningful spiritual conversations with people. We're going to begin in verse 11 of Luke 17. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, please do so. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you want to use the YouVersion app, again, just open up the YouVersion uh, Bible app. Search under events for Parkview Finley. You'll find scripture and sermon notes within the app ready to go. Let's read together. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, Jesus was accustomed to this kind of thing. As he was traveling, he encountered many people who needed his help, many people who called out to him, asking for healing, asking for uh, some miracle, asking for him to care for someone that they knew. Now, these 10 leopards were a little different because they asked Jesus for help from a, a distance. They called out to him, Master. And the reason is because of this very particular affliction. There were strict rules that governed those who had leprosy and how they interacted with the general public. 
they were not permitted contact with people. They would often uh, make a dwelling for themselves away from town. And if they were a large city, there might be a, a group of lepers living together in a small community on the outskirts, dependent upon their loved ones, friends and family to provide food and clothing. The only companionship are the other people who also have this disease. If they were to go into town, when they saw people from a distance away, they would have to call out, unclean, I'm a leper. So that there wouldn't be any uh, accidental contact that is such a highly contagious disease that, that physical contact could spread leprosy. It was a, a difficult, lonely life, outcasts, isolated. Can you imagine what that life would be like if, if whenever you were in need of healing, physically or spiritually, walking in among other people, you have to call out to them, unclean, I'm a liar, stay back unclean. I'm an arrogant jerk. It's a little catchy. You might get it. Don't, don't come near me. Can you imagine how loud, how awkward, how embarrassing life would be if you had to call out to people and identify those, those things? This is the life that, that these men were, were living. A lonely existence, difficult. If you look in the book of Leviticus in chapter 14, it talks about the the kinds of requirements for someone who had leprosy and what would happen to them and, and what would happen if they were healed of leprosy, if they had a, you know, a spot, a localized spot uh, that was evident and that spot cleared up and, and went away, or they would have to go and present themselves to a priest. The priest would examine the spot, determine whether or not it had actually cleared up, and then go through a process of ritual cleansing, shaving from head to toe, uh, uh, ritual washing, uh, clothes destroy, a uh, fresh start, no contamination, and there would be a period of time before they could interact. And then their relationships could be restored. They could have contact with, with people again and experience life. Jesus heard these men calling out for, for help. And he did a curious thing. Hearing them cry out, he said, go and present yourselves to the priests. Now, normally, we, I mean, we read about the stories of Jesus healing people all the time. Normally, he would, he would do something. He would tell them, you're healed. He would lay hands on them to heal them. He would make, make mud out of his spit and dirt and use that. He would give them instructions to go and do something, like go and wash in this particular place seven times and, and you know, find healing. But here... Jesus told them to go and present themselves to the priest. He told them to go and do the thing that they should do after they had been healed. They heard the instructions and turned and went on their way. Jesus gave them these instructions while they still had leprosy. They hadn't been healed yet, and, and yet he was telling them to go and do the thing that, that they should have done only after they were healed, and they, these men turned to go. This is, this is a response of, of faith, trusting the words of Jesus and doing what he said and only after they turned and obeyed did that disease begin to clear up. One of them looked down and saw that his, his flesh was whole and turned back to thank Jesus. Not just thank you. <laughs> he, he bowed down to Jesus' feet, praising God and thanking Jesus for the, the power of, of, that had been expressed in his life, for the healing that had been brought to him. This incredible expression of gratitude. And, and I wonder, what did those other nine men feel? We don't hear about what, what happened to them after this. 
we don't know anything more than that they just continued on their way. Were they, were they even grateful? Well, I would hope so. I would think so. But we have, we have no way of knowing that. They didn't express their gratitude toward Jesus. Maybe they were so, so worried about that healing that they thought if they didn't continue to obey Jesus, if they stopped and turned back, that, that maybe that leprosy would come back and they were just nervous. But what we do know is that they missed out on this experience with Jesus. They missed out on what this one man had as he came before the Lord and expressed his gratitude. What we learn from them is this. Our response to Jesus will determine the depth of our relationship with him. And we all have needs that we take before the Lord. We all have things that we ask God to, to intervene and take care of. We, we have things that are out of our control that we know we can't resolve. And we pray about those things. We have loved ones that we care about that are experiencing difficulty and we, we pray for them. We have health concerns in our lives and we pray about those things. We have a prayer list that we go through and we, we, we lift those things up before the Lord. And we know that he's faithful. We know that he cares and provides for us. We know that we can trust him to answer our prayers, to work in our lives. Then we feel many things in response to his work. When we have a, a physical thing, when we have a disease and we have a sickness, when, when, when there's something wrong physically with us and, and we pray about that thing, we, we feel relief on the other side. When we experience difficulty in our relationships, when we go before the Lord desperate for a second chance, hoping to be reconciled, and, and that happens, we feel this incredible sense of peace, knowing our relationships are made whole again. When the circumstances of life are too much for us and we take them before the Lord and they begin to be resolved, we feel immensely relieved. But, but then what? How often do we go back to the Lord and thank him for the work that he's done in our lives? How often do we go back for the very specific things that we asked God about and say to God, here's what happened. I know that you did this. Thank you for the work that you did in my life. Thank you for showing yourself strong. Thank you for proving your power in, in my life, in the lives of the people that I care about. Thank you, God. We don't usually follow up in that way, do we? We don't usually send that thank you note to God in our prayers. Why is that? Why do we pray so hard for things and then skip that step, skip that next thing and follow up and respond to God and thank him for the way that he worked? Maybe it's because we're so focused on the here and now, focused on all of the things that are, are happening in our world and in our lives that we get so wrapped up. And even though we have time to pray and we have time to, to beg God to intervene, we immediately move on to the next thing. We immediately move on to the next thing in our schedule. We move The next prayer request we have to lift up. Maybe it's a matter of selfishness. We're just so concerned with the needs that we have that we just keep presenting them to God. Here's another need and another need. God, please, God, please. But we never come back and say, God, thank you. Or maybe we do sometimes, but just not enough. Maybe it's a result of our absolute trust in God. That we, we know God is faithful whether he says yes or no, that he's going to answer our prayers. And we trust him so much that when we pray for things, we just surrender them to God. And we know we don't have to worry about them again, and we move on. 
Well, that's a very positive way to look at this. Maybe that's what happens. And we just have such a complete trust that we can leave those things with him. Maybe it's pride. Have you ever thought about the difficulties you face in life? And you pray, asking God to intervene, asking God to give you the strength and the patience and the perseverance to handle the difficulties of life. And then in the middle of those difficulties, you see how you have, you're standing in, 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 under the weight of, of all the things you're dealing with. You see how there is patience and perseverance, how, how you handle the difficulties of life. And you get on the other side and you look back at what God has done. And you say, hey, I made it. I did it. I was strong. I persevered. And you take credit for what God did in your life. Where's the thank you? We need to be willing to acknowledge all the ways that the Lord answers our prayers. We need to be willing to express gratitude toward him. Maybe it's just a simple thing is on our prayer lists, keeping a record of, a journal of how God is working in our lives, in the lives of those we care about, writing out how we are seeing God working. I prayed about this sickness, God, and, and my, my loved one as well. I prayed about this difficulty, and I'm seeing it beginning to be resolved. There's still some things I'd like to have happen, but it, it's starting. And, and come back to that prayer list and say, God, thank you. Thank you for healing my family. Thank you for restoring my relationships. Thank you for, for providing the things that I needed to get through the difficult moments in life. Thank you, God, for your power and your provision and your relationship with me. It's an important part of our relationship with God to respond appropriately and, and come back to reconnect with him. If you think about all the times in the gospels that Jesus cared for people, the, the times that he displayed his power, the miracles that he performed, there's a theme that surrounds all of those expressions of power. Jesus did those things, one, to confirm his identity as God in the flesh, the son of God most high, two, to give glory to God in the process. And when he did the miraculous, he did it for the glory of God. And so when we experience the power of God in our lives, it's important for us to give glory to God as well. We see this perspective in the story with these lepers that Jesus healed, one of whom came back to thank him. And what was Jesus' response? Weren't, weren't all 10 of you healed? Where are the other nine? What's different about this one man who came back to give praise to God. The only thing that Scripture identifies about him is that he's a Samaritan, which leads us to assume logically that the other nine men are Israelites, but that's an assumption. We would be careful about applying assumptions to truth. It's dangerous. All we know for sure is that the one man was a Samaritan and that he came back to thank Jesus, to have an experience with him, to have a conversation with him, to express his gratitude, and this interaction made the difference. The other nine received the same healing that he received, but they missed out on the connection with Jesus. They missed out on that relationship, expressing their gratitude and praising the Lord. That's an example to us to remember, to express our gratitude in those moments where we see God working. We learn from this leper, but I also think it's important for us to learn from Jesus and the way that he cared for people in the world around him, the way that he answered the needs in the lives of people and how it provided opportunity for him to have conversations with them. We see the same thing happening in our lives. It, meeting the needs of others demonstrates the love of Jesus, and it opens doors for us to begin having conversations with them about the Lord. 
and meeting the needs of others is an important part of the gospel. Caring for others demonstrates the love of Jesus. It demonstrates our willingness to be used by him to express his love in the world around us. It demonstrates sincerity, wanting to help, and also wanting to see people connected to the Lord. But notice also that the example of Jesus is encouraging to us. As we care for people, as we have conversations with them, to know that not every one of those conversations is is going to be successful here and now in the moment. Jesus healed 10 men. How many of them returned to have a conversation? Just one. 10%. And that's encouraging to you and me when we, when we care for people, when we, when we intervene in the lives of people, when we pray for people and hope to open up the doors of conversation to help draw them into the Lord, that when people say, thank you, goodbye, <laughs> when people receive help from us and go on with their lives, when people aren't willing to have a conversation with us about the love of God, that we shouldn't be discouraged by that moment. We should instead see the value of investing in their lives and contributing to their openness to the Lord at some point down the road, knowing that we're planting seeds for the gospel that might not bloom now, but they may bloom down the road. Sometimes we get discouraged in those moments when we care about people and start to talk to them about Jesus and they they shut the door, they, they turn away, they refuse to have a conversation, and we feel like it's a failure. But planting seeds is never a failure. Making an investment in the spiritual lives of people is never a failure, but we have to keep in perspective that those things might not start to bloom until down the road. That might be a person that we stay in contact with and continue to care about and help them see that we're a safe place to ask questions and talk about difficulties, to offer advice and begin pointing them to the Lord. Maybe it's years down the road and that person might not have any contact with us ever again, but later they're going to experience a need again and remember what happened. Remember the care that we provided. Remember how we were present to help with the need. And think about how God used us in their lives and opened their minds up, opened their hearts up to the possibility of turning to him then. It's encouraging to see that even a miraculous healing didn't yield a productive conversation with every person that received care from Jesus. It didn't stop him from caring. It shouldn't stop us from caring but it should provide perspective for us not to be discouraged as we continue in this process and reach into the lives of people around us who have needs and care for them so that we can begin the conversation, so that we can point them to the Lord at some point down the road. There's a quote from St. Francis of Assisi. He said many things about faith, about relationship with Jesus. One that you might have heard before is this famous quote where he said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Now, this is a, this is a great encouragement to Christians that helps us be reminded to care for people in the name of Jesus, to prove the sincerity of our words with our actions. And, and that's an important part of the process to, to demonstrate to people that we really do care. We're not just wanting to save them, to bring about our survey. We really genuinely want to provide and care for them in a way. Sometimes we have to earn the right to speak into the lives of people before, before someone is willing to listen, before they're willing to talk about the Lord. We have to prove to them that we care about them so that that conversation can happen later. And the other thing that we, we realize is that when people experience overwhelming need, they're not able, they're not willing to think about anything else. Have you ever been in that place where you felt so overwhelmed that, and so focused on the overwhelming thing that you were dealing with that you couldn't? You didn't have the capacity to even think about other things. When we experience, when we interact with people who experience a great need in their lives, before they're even 
capable of listening, before they're even capable of hearing about the love of Jesus, that need has to begin to, to be resolved. We, ha- we have to be able to help steer their focus away from this overwhelming weight so that they will have a capacity to listen and to understand. Now, this, this quote has been a, a good thing for Christian people. It's been a beneficial and motivating I've also seen it do negative things in the lives of Christians. When, we, when they, they hear those words and they take it to, to mean that we should preach the gospel at all times and use words only when necessary, and that, that we should be generous and kind and benevolent all the time, and then only if somebody says, well, wait, why are you doing this? We would say, well, you know, it's because God loves you. And we use this as an excuse to do kind things without ever talking about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. When we show kindness to people without pointing to Jesus, we become like every other benevolent person or group in the world. And there are many of those. When we care for people without talking about the love and grace of Jesus Christ, we answer an an immediate need with a temporary solution instead of answering an eternal need with a permanent solution in Jesus When we care for people without pointing them to Jesus, we become the source of care instead of the the conduit through which the care comes. Think about that. When you provide for someone and you don't talk about Jesus, you just give them something or help resolve a need, and they say thank you and you say you're welcome, you become the source of care. You become the person who's loving them. And what, what are we called to do? We're called to be used by God to express his love in the world around us. And we care for people and they say, thank you. You say, well, I can't take credit for that. I I felt compelled by the Lord to to be kind to you. I just felt like there was something that you needed that that I could do for you that would help you understand how much God loves you. You see the difference there. And it's all about the source, all about the credit. And and where that person feels the connection of gratitude with us or with the Lord. When we care about people without talking about the love and grace of Jesus, we slowly weaken our ability, our skill at evangelism. Talking to people about Jesus is a skill that gets better when we use it, that we have to practice in order to be adept at using. When we care for people and we don't talk about Jesus, that skill dulls. It becomes harder for us to use. Have you ever, as an adult, gotten back on a bicycle and tried to ride. After not riding a bicycle for many years, I did. Um, some friends, the Fishers took our youth group when I was a youth minister. We got on the uh, trail from North Baltimore to Bowling Green to ride bicycles for miles. I hadn't been on a bicycle for years, and I sat down on that seat and rode for miles. I barely made it back. It hurt so bad. Now, I knew how to ride a bicycle. You know, I say it's like riding a bike. You never forget. Yeah, but I wasn't very good at it. I could, get, I could get down the path, but it was awful. You think about what happens when we try to talk to people about Jesus and we haven't done so in a really long time and we've been caring for needs but not really saying anything and then an opportunity comes, we say, well, yeah, God, God loves you. It's a really awkward, uncomfortable situation because we haven't practiced. We've gotten so rusty that what we end up doing is shutting people off from the Lord. They, they go, turn away and close the doors. They say, no, thank you. I'm not sure what that was, but it's nothing that I want. We have to practice the skill to get good at it. We have to use what God gave us for his glory and continue in it to, to develop that into something that is smooth and genuine and meaningful and draws people to the Lord. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that we need to practice. The, the other thing that we need to practice is, is the idea of living in the presence of, of Jesus. 
of remembering that he is our constant companion, our ever-present help, especially in times of trouble, that's what the Psalms tell us, that there is not a moment in our lives where we are without the presence of the Lord. Now, we like to think that we are. We like to have those moments where we think we're all alone, that we can do things and say things that don't really matter spiritually, but that's not true. God is always there and he is always with you. The idea is that we need to recognize his presence and embrace his presence and live in his presence and see that everything we say, everything that we do can be done for the glory of God, can be done in a way that draws us into him and blesses our relationship and grows that. But it's something we have to practice. And as we practice it, we find that when we care for people, we are inviting them to join us in the presence of Jesus, not pointing them to some foreign thing like, well, you should, you should go over there and find Jesus. You should, you should understand the love and grace of Jesus Christ. I know it's there somewhere, but it's not here. No, you invite them to join you in the presence of Jesus and you guide them through that process and you show them what a life lived for the Lord looks like. But sometimes we need to practice that. We need to be reminded of the value of that. The presence of Jesus is so significant. The second story I want to point us to is in Luke chapter 10. Beginning in verse 38, it starts like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken from her. Can you imagine what Martha was going through? Maybe you know what it's like hosting people in your home. And you want to make a good impression, and so you clean things that never get clean. You actually dust. You dust that. Dust, yeah. You, you straighten everything up. You, you sweep the floors. You mop the floors. You, I mean... You clean the bathrooms immaculately. It looks like nobody even lives there. It's not how my house looks all the time. When people come over, we clean. Can you imagine where Martha was? Jesus Christ was coming to her house. He, the pressure of, of wanting him to see how nicely you care for the things that you have in your life. It was just a wonderful kind of thing she wanted to do. And she was worried about all these things. Not only Jesus coming, 12 disciples with him, and she had this house full of men, and she wanted to be a good host. We talked a couple of weeks ago about a good host, what they provide when people travel and they wash their feet, provide some oil for their head, and, and give them a place to rest, and, and make them feel like they're at home. What would it be like to open your home to Jesus? To be so worried about providing the, the sense of hospitality to him. Let's not kid ourselves. He knows. He knows what your life looks like when he's not around. There's no, there's no fooling him. What's the point of cleaning all this stuff up? But the, the, the pressure is there to, to maintain this, this clean, welcoming, hospitable environment. Martha was running around taking care of all these details while Mary sat and talked to the guests. Mary found what was better. Not that Martha was doing anything wrong. Mary found what was better, the presence of Jesus. And she was basking in the presence. She was, she was listening to his voice. She was growing closer to him. She was seeking after his presence. Now, Jesus didn't blame Martha. He didn't, didn't tell her she was wrong. But he said, you know, while you're, while you're so distracted with all these things, think about what's better. Think about what you could be doing here. We all need to seek after the presence of God. 
to recognize the value of growing closer to him. When I graduated from high school, I received uh, this book as a gift. It's called The The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. It's uh, written by a monk who chronicles his journey of discovering the value of the presence of God, that every little thing he did, every act of service, every role that he played was his worship to God. And he used every moment of his life to connect with people and draw closer to God together. It's an incredible, I encourage you to read it. It's paperback. It's not even 100 pages. It's big print. It's like a Hardy Boys book. Easy read. If you haven't read it, do it. It's such a good book. It teaches so much about how we can recognize the presence of God every moment of every day, how we can use those mundane things that are normally a frustration to become an act of worship and praise, living our lives for him, discovering the, the purpose and value and, and, and fulfillment that comes in living for him. It, it's an important, important thing for us to learn, like Martha, when we get so distracted with good things. When we get so distracted with things that we think we should be doing, that we don't stop to enjoy the presence of Jesus. Now, that last point in your bulletin, there's a blank there, that we shouldn't allow anything to become a hindrance to the presence of God. I want to give you room to write whatever you want to in that blank. Because I know for each of us, the thing that hinders us from the presence of God is different. That, that thing that's keeping us back. That thing we give our time and attention to. That thing that gets overwhelming, that draws our attention, that becomes a major distraction. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, but we know what it is that we need to overcome in order to enjoy the presence of Jesus. Maybe maybe for you it's a very good thing that draws your focus, that needs to be resolved. Maybe for you, especially if you serve here at the church or you lead a ministry or you're one of the ministers on staff, you know what it is like Martha to be so concerned with hosting the family of God for worship. There's so many details to, to get right, so many things that need to be done and covered, so many things that we want to clean and make look nice that, that we can draw people in to provide a worshipful experience to, so, that, so that we together can enjoy the presence of God, that when you're, you're responsible for those things, you don't stop to be in the presence of God with the family of God. And we have to remember not to let the things of God, the things we do for God, hinder us from being in his presence. Maybe, maybe you enjoy the, the things that we do here, the activities that we have, the Bible studies that we have. You're in a connect group. You're on a Wednesday Bible study. You're in a, uh, an ABF class on Sunday mornings. You, you're in a, a group that, that, that fellowships together. You come to play pickleball or pick up basketball on Sundays, and, and you're doing things with the, the family of God. You're busy with the schedule of activities that we have, and you're so wrapped up in the things that we do that you don't stop to enjoy the presence of God. And allow him to, to, to draw you closer and grow you together with that group as he, he's bringing you closer to him. Maybe, maybe there's some other thing in your life that's distracting you from the presence of God. Some other thing that, that has your time and attention, your schedule, your work, your, your leisure, the things you do to relax and have fun. Maybe, maybe they've taken too big of a role in your life because you've surrendered so much to them. You no longer have that capacity. Maybe it's even your, your time with God and you go through your prayer list and you read your chapter in the Bible 
and you check off those things, but you don't stop to enjoy the presence of God. You don't stop to let him speak to your heart. You don't stop to, to be present in that moment because you're getting through it to move on to something else. Maybe like Martha, even though Jesus is there and you know he's present, it's another person and your feelings toward that person that are keeping you from enjoying the presence of God. Maybe you look across the room. Maybe during worship you're thinking about a loved one or a friend or a family member who's not with us, and you're consumed by a feeling of jealousy. You're consumed by resentment. You're consumed by the hurt that has taken place between you, so much so that you aren't present in the presence of God. Martha begged Jesus to intervene, to tell Mary to do what she was supposed to be doing. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. Worry about this. Come, come and sit. Come and listen. I'm here. Be in my presence. You know, sometimes we even get so wrapped up in caring for people and looking for conversations and seeing how we can intervene and care for the needs of people. We're obedient to what God's calling us to do, but we get so wrapped up in the doing that we forget about the presence of God. We forget about being the love of God. We forget about drawing people in and inviting them to join us in the presence of God. In all the things that we do, even in the way we care for people, we need to not worry so much about the thing, not worry so much about the need, not worry so much about what we're doing, but continually point to the one who brings healing and wholeness, reconciliation and restoration, to continually point to the author and perfecter of our faith, our creator and savior, and draw people into his presence. What would happen in our lives? What would happen in the lives of the people around us if we could learn to seek after the presence of Jesus every moment of every day instead of waiting until there's a need, instead of waiting until we're overwhelmed and we don't know what to do and we have to call on the name of Jesus to intervene in our lives? What would happen if we could already acknowledge, recognize, and embrace the presence of Jesus and face those things with confidence because we know he's with us. And not only that, but live our lives, everything we do, every word we say, an expression of our gratitude and praise of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for the words that you bring to us from Scripture. Thank you for the message that penetrates our hearts. God, I pray that you would remind us of the value of our relationship with you, that you, you, you'd help us to remember the things that we can be grateful to you for. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the moments in the lives of people around us where there's a need that we could step in and, and help with. But Lord, I pray that you would also convict us, remind us that you would press on us the importance of pointing to you in those things. God, we're grateful for the way that you work. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.